Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk venture capital and funding ideas in agriculture. Joining us is David Speller. How are you doing today, David? I'm very well, thank you. Excited to have you on again. Um, If you wouldn't mind, just give a really brief introduction since we've already had you on as a guest. Yeah, so I'm a UK poultry farmer and the founder of a startup, now scale-up OptiFarm, monitoring systems on farm around the world, pig and poultry. So this episode today is going to be really focused on all of the new ideas that are coming into agriculture and why are more of them not succeeding? Uh, Is the current funding mechanism wrong? Is where, how are we approaching this? So to start things off, David, I would love it if you could just give an outline of what it means for somebody with an idea to go from idea to exit or, um, whatever else yeah would be there yeah 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 no and certainly i think you you and i would both acknowledge these are quite you know personal views and i'm happy to give mine but hopefully people don't always agree with everyone else's views so if they start shouting at this podcast that's fine but you know i think i've seen two principal different ways of doing it mine was slightly unusual not unusual but yeah, mine came about because I developed a product for my my business, my farming business, and then was approached by an investor to ask, would I consider an investment and, and make it a, a product available globally, which is slightly different to some of the propositions where somebody has the idea and then effectively goes on a you know shark tank, dragon's den type approach, trying to raise the money to launch their idea. I'd already launched it and was using it internally in a much smaller way when i then got approached so there is you know there's a different way you start from but in principle you know, your aim is that you have a dream your dream invariably is outside of your own little box which means to take it out to the world and and come up with a product that's good for others not just you in your garage and is good for other languages and cultures and situations takes money and development and so you've got to raise capital. And it's very difficult to do that with a bank or a lending house unless you've got strong balance sheets elsewhere or, you know, you win the lottery or something else. So you end up going to someone saying, here's a great idea. Give me some money. Um, you take the money. You're then, you know, working with your aspirations, with where you want your idea to go and where their aspirations might be for what they want their money to do. And then at some point, invariably those investors want an exit and you may want an exit as well and and you sort of go through a commercial journey and in parallel you're running this investment journey alongside your commercial journey 
They are. They're two journeys in parallel. And like you had said at the beginning, like some people do the the Shark Tank side of it. I know on our end, when we had the idea, we went through a student accelerator at the University of Iowa, where we got 1500 bucks to kind of go through that process. And then went through an official accelerator where we got about 25,000 and then just used business plan competitions to pitch for about 350. Then after that, we went through the the seed round of funding, the series A round of funding and so on. Can can you add a little color to what what found in order for somebody to get seed money? Yeah. That yeah. first yeah, 100 to $500,000. Yeah. What do they need to have? Okay. Um, it's really interesting. And I'll start this by saying, and I don't know whether he listens to your podcast, but you know, I had a really interesting conversation with one of my friends about Elon Musk recently. And, uh, and they say, you know, I think this is a really clever guy and I didn't dispute it. But I said, you know, the one thing mm. I've learned that you actually need is an amazing talent to sell. You're either selling your product or you're selling your idea. So to even get started, you're in a competitive field where there's a lot of noise. So you've got to be able to show your enthusiasm and your passion whilst also actually convincing them it's a good idea and not only just a good idea to you. So I would suggest that that is the first hurdle. If you are an amazing um, inventor of something, founder of something, but you don't have the skills that you, you know, you feel uncomfortable pitching in public or in front of groups or doing competitive rounds like you mentioned, then you are at a disadvantage. Because, you know, someone can step up and give an amazing presentation and, you know, and, and just sell the idea. And you might have the better idea, but if you can't sell it, no one's listening. So I think that's the first hurdle that, and the real skill is you've got to have the idea, but you've got to have an ability to sell it. And then beyond that, you, you get more into uh, Series A type rounds or additional rounds that might be based off of actual traction and and in those situations, all the all these venture capitalist groups, they they have formulas for success for what they need. And so often they're looking for that 10x return, which likely means they get one 10x return, a couple six to seven, a few four to five, a couple two to three, and maybe one or two will burn out, but it fits their model. And so yeah. if you can't create a compelling argument for how you are going to grow yeah. a lot. Yeah. With yeah. their funding, yeah. yeah, you're not you're not enticing. No, no, and this is a part of the conflict that you you get into, and and, and why we're having this conversation is you know you very exactly. quickly get into a conflict of, but what if I don't want this to be the most amazing global product? Because to do that, I might have to dilute my aspirations. Because can I be perfect for every market? Maybe not. So you're asking me to be. 85, 90% fit for the whole market instead of 100% fit for half the market. And that's all about you. You're right in that their aspirations, and rightly so, they, you know, as you mentioned very, you know, in, in your, your comment there, not everyone's going to succeed and not every investment they make, do they make the right decision and things fail for lots of reasons. So they do want many multiples. And to give them many multiples, invariably what we found, and you may find that you, you've got to be able to show you can scale. And that can compromise some products and some ideas because scale means you've got to be applicable to variable scenarios. And even in our case, we're now cross-species. We started in poultry and now we've come into swine as well, again, showing that scalability. And we're about to go on non-agricultural systems monitoring and optimization as well to, again, 
show further scalability. Um, and part of that is, yeah, I want that. But part of it is to satisfy that multiplier. So you, you, you've got to show scale. And you may have to adapt in that round to show that you can achieve more scale to get a bigger multiple. Yeah, and those multiples matter to them, too, because their rate of return is really important for the investors that they need to pitch on investing into their additional funding rounds. So them as they're also selling, investors are also selling their investors yeah. for their funds. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and let's not forget that, just to add to that, if I may, Matthew, that they may be selling on to another fund. You know, their exit at whatever their multiple is from an early round investor may then be to a further investor. So they want to be able to show, oh, look, you need to buy from me because it did 10 times for me. It can do 20 times for you or it will do five times, but at a higher value. So therefore, you know, so you're right. You know, they, they don't want to see what we call these down rounds or flat rounds where you're not getting multiples because at that point, you know, then it's not easy for them to move on and them to go back because they do Early stage investors might not want to stay with you the whole journey. They might want to pass you on to a middle stage investor while they go back and take that money and invest in two more early startups. Exactly. And one thing that we'll really get into today is whether or not this mechanism is good for ag. And a lot of that is tied in this weird world where growth does not happen quick in ag. It's yeah. slow to start. It's a strong barrier to entry. And once you're in it, you seem to be in it for a long time. The The lifetime value of whatever you create is far yeah. in excess of what's typical. So yeah. can you speak to the challenges of rapid growth in ag tech? Yeah, Um my experience, and as we said at the start, a lot of this is personal stuff, but our experience, my experience has been that rapid growth for you in your earlier stages often comes from stretching you in going into different regions, different companies, lots of proof of concept, lots of, you know, many of them are paid for because everyone knows we need a bit of money, but, you know, you're stretched all over, which is which is rapid growth in percentage terms, and you can double, 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 because if you're only doing 10 units to go to 20 units, it's not difficult. If you're doing 1,000 units to go to 2,000, that can be more difficult. So you get this sort of rapid growth of everyone wanting to have a look at you in the early stages, but then commercial rapid growth comes later on in a different format where you're then really scaling with a customer who might have only had 10 barns or 10 airspaces with you and suddenly says, I want to try 100 or I want to tie to a 300. And then you get a different sort of rapid scaling from that approach. And those are two very different worlds as well. And there's a very challenging crossover when you go from what you think is rapid growth, but really it's only on the back of, a, not hype, but it's on the back of, well, yeah, we'll have a look at you. Yeah, we'll have a look at you. To then, okay, I like it. Now we'll scale. And, and you might be riding a wave along with other people. You know, for us, we can only deliver a service if I can see the data. If a client hasn't scaled their data capture, I'm going to struggle to deliver an optimization service. So you get caught in all of that. So different types of scaling. So when we look at uh, all of this, I'm going to step back a second and we're going to ask you a couple of questions. I've been asking these to, to people recently and they're kind of fun. Uh, the rapid fire questions. Okay. And a little off the cuff. <laughs> so what, uh, what sports team you root for? 
Uh, I don't, and I never have. I'm not a sports fan, I'm afraid. <laughs> What's your very favorite karaoke song? Uh, again, I'm going to be really dull and say, I don't, I don't do karaoke. That's, that's really rubbish, isn't it? No, you're good. What's uh, your, your favorite actor? Um, I don't watch movies. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, this is um, good. I, yeah. Um, yeah. Go- I, I, I don't. Sorry. You're good. Your go-to candy or chocolate. Um, so being British, I can't help myself, but Cadbury's here has a different flavor to what we'd have in the US. So I, I was brought up on Cadbury's, I'm afraid. What is that? So Cadbury's is a milk chocolate. So it's a milk chocolate, but it tends to have, um, it's got a different type of flavor to what uh, you may have in the US. Interesting. You do get Cadbury's there, but it's expensive because it's imported. Gotcha. It's sweet and milky and just has a certain flavor that we grew up on as kids, I guess. What's your go-to beer? Uh, I'm afraid I'm a wine man. So right, uh, I, do, I do like an IPA. I will have an IPA, particularly if I'm in the US, actually. But um, my favorite wine would be a dry French white wine. All righty. I didn't do very well in those questions, Matthew. Oh, you did just fine. Ha- having, having nothing is, is an answer. <laughs> that's, you're the first <laughs> one to have nothing in three of the categories. So that's, uh, that's impressive. <laughs> It just, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, and it is genuinely what I'm like. I'm just a little bit, I don't watch movies. I don't particularly listen to music. I, I, I don't read books because I'm dyslexic. I, you know, I don't sport any soccer or rugby or any soccer, any sport. I was never brought up in the sporting family. So difficult questions for me. So is uh, fun work? Uh, no, no. Uh, well, yeah. Hey, look, changes, as we all know, I guess you're going to have a lot of farming listeners to this. You know, farming yeah. has some play in it as well as work. So, you know, driving tractors and riding around on quad bikes or even fixing things mm-hmm. and welding things was fun. Nowadays, yeah. you know, nowadays it's doing up my house, but also, you know, I have a fantastic family and I really cherish actually spending time with them and, and doing stuff at home and just chilling out, really. When you'd when you, you you'd be the same. Yeah, a lot of us in this industry now, we spend a lot of time traveling working away, committing ourselves rightly to our clients. So I really value that family time now and doing a bit of DIY and learning how to plaster or render or whatever. That's great. So to kind of hop back into the topic, do, first question is, do we think that the current funding mechanism is actually delivering the right solutions for the industry uh, when too few new tech solutions are actually being developed and scaling into profitable business models? Yeah. Really, really interesting. Um, I mean, are you happy me answering, or do you want to throw a comment, or are you just going no, to throw the questions? Go ahead, man. <laughs> um, so uh, it's it's what we would call yeah, it's a double-edged sword to me. In that, look, at the end of the day, we are raising money into this industry from places that are not always strategically involved in this industry that allows us to develop to develop ideas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But and and I know you know. I presented on this when I was on stage recently. You know, I do challenge the fact that to get the money, you have to meet their criteria or why would they give you their money? Which means that if they're not totally aligned with your vision or aligned with what are the real problems in the industry, then what they believe the industry might want is based on a perception and therefore they'll only give money for that. And so we are, you know, there are a number of things that I see being developed that I applaud the people developing it. And people might even look at me like this. Hey, I don't know, you know, hopefully not. But, you know, 
Um, people develop something that answers a desire, not a need. And that's because they can get money for it, because invariably it has these days cameras, it has artificial intelligence, it has machine learning all in the pitch deck. All are brilliant things, by the way. I love all of them. <laughs> but they are like the buzzword. You know, I used to be an auditor years ago, and if you gave me those five words I needed, I could audit you in an hour and leave. If you don't give me those five words, I'm there for a week. You've got to give me those five words, and investors are the same. So we've got a lot of products that, rightly so, you ask a customer. In my world, you know, in poultry and in the UK, I have no great advantage in knowing to the nearest one gram the weight of my chicken. I sell live weight. I want to feed them as little as possible and convert to the maximum kilos of meat going out the door. That's what I earn on. Whether or not I'm within one gram or not, you know, I don't care. I just want good conversion. But if you ask people, do you want to know the exact weight of your chicken? Yes, I do. Right. Let's put millions of dollars into investing into a camera system for that. For some markets around the world, perfect. But please don't try and sell it to me as a UK chicken farmer because it'll earn me nothing. So I'm sorry, I'm not buying your technology because it earns me nothing. And that's an example where people can get on a gravy train on a, on a, on a journey sort of obsessing about mm. artificial intelligence, machine learning, camera visionary, whatever it might be, without really getting from what's the problem first and go the other way. But if they did that, they might never get the money to develop it. So it's helping, but sometimes it isn't helping. Yeah, and we're going to get into like incubators and stuff here in a second, too, which is kind of another yeah. angle. Yeah. But uh, with, yeah, when you don't start with direct relationships with people facing the problem, and you're coming at it with an idea um, and you don't do the customer discovery, which we might talk about later. It's 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 yeah. hard. Uh, I had a great. Yeah, I, yeah, I would just want to add. Yeah. I did an innovation event. Yeah, I was at an innovation event recently. Yeah, good one. Not recently, within within a few months. And um, really good event. And, you know, I was asked, can you come up with a roundtable topic? Because we want to have roundtable breakouts. No problem. And I knew what everyone was going to be doing. I knew what topics they were all going to go for. So I said, I tell you what, I'm going to give you the topic of how technology can help us solve the issue of recruitment. Uh, or something very similar. Basically saying, look, we've got a problem with people here. And we need a, a solution that's going to help us support and entice people, not worrying about the latest database and what server you've got. And when you looked around, it might be just because people didn't like me. I don't know. Yeah. But I got two people on my table and I got 30 people stood round the table all wanting to understand artificial intelligence. And I'm thinking, I have a farming business. I struggle to get farm managers into my business. And so do all my clients around the world. You lot are not woken up to what the real problem is and uh, and that's the sort of thing that frustrates me i suppose yeah there's often a ignorance with entrepreneurs i think we've, we've all in some ways been ignorant but there was this great story as an example um there was a, a investor out of kansas city he was encouraged to look at this startup idea for cancer treatment for dogs and yeah. uh the solution was going to cost $100,000. It required two injections a day for six months. Uh -huh. And the founder said, uh, and there's no other competition on the market. And the guy goes, all right, I don't know hardly anything about this space, but I can tell you that after you inject your dog twice a day for a few days, he isn't going to want to be around you anymore. 
Uh-huh. And second, the, the competition is $60 and a puppy. He's like, yeah. if your dog gets cancer, you can put it down and buy yeah. a puppy. Like, yeah. that, and that's harsh, yeah. but he's like, yeah. you can't be ignorant yeah. to the alternative. Yeah. And I think a lot yeah. of times people are ignorant to the alternative. And sometimes the alternative is we'll just do the same thing we've always done. And it's cheaper and yeah. better in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I see that, and I think I think you know there are other challenges. You know, whoever's at these events listening to whatever's being pitched, you know, we all have to pass it up the chain within our own companies as well. Very often, and so yeah. those individuals are going back, and their <clears throat> CEOs or or CFOs or whatever are saying to them, "What did you learn at that event?" Oh, well, I went and listened about AI. Ah, brilliant. That's why I'm interested in that. Yeah, if he'd gone back and said, well, I went and listened to someone telling us how we might solve a problem of recruiting people. It's like, well, that's not a human resource conference. So I didn't send you there for that. So, you know, people, you know, there's human psychology involved and everyone's thinking, you know, what they need to do, I guess. But it's um, it's a real challenge that I think people should be very aware, particularly when I hear the industry saying, well, you know, are you really bringing us what we want, you founders? And are we really developing this and the other? And I'm not sure I really want that. And when I really sit back and think, why are you not sure if you want it? I kind of think, did we ever ask you what you wanted? Yeah. Or did we think this is great because we love it, therefore you must love it? Uh, a bit like your story there with the dog. You know, do you really understand everything that's going on in the background and the alternatives? So another thing that entrepreneurs, people with ideas have opportunities to do early on is get access to grants, work with universities, work at incubators, accelerators, get awards. Now, I want to split those two and ask you, uh, do grants and universities really actually help with developing new startup business ideas? Um, uh, as with a lot of my answers, I have, I have two sides to this answer. You know, one is um, I would be cautious to anyone looking at that. I know of too many that I would claim are addicted to grants. They have built a business model that answers the needs of a grant scoring system that means they can always raise money and survive, but they never get a commercial team in place that can make this thing fly off the shelf because it's only ever a research tool. And it's addicted to looking into the next new problem from the start and never gets traction. What I do think is really good, though, with the universities, and rightly so, is they carry a lot of credibility there's a lot of knowledge and credibility within the teams, particularly in some of those U.S. universities <clears throat> with technical departments. And I think, you know, the industry rightly looks at them and sort of thinks, oh, well, if they're involved with this, then maybe something will come out of it. But again, your know, universities inherently, in my view, are not there to be, um, you know, to be a commercial business as far as startup tech goes. They can incubate them, set them on their journey and then be part of their exit plan and earn from that. But, you know, they're a learning place. They're a place for research and trials and to try new things and do the deep thinking. So good for credibility, but commercialization from both of those bases is not always easy. Yeah, I'd agree. I've seen too many companies go to universities and treat that as their sole strategy for the next year on here. We're going to prove it out. And yeah. and, uh, and they yeah. already have a sellable product and they just feel like they need that university research to to help them sell. And it's it's like, no, yeah. that is going yeah. to take a long time. Yeah. And their yeah. best interest, your best interest is not their best interest. And and as, if I put my farmer hat on for my farming business here, if something like that, if I see something yeah. early stage back with credibility of a university that I know and trust, then I trust 
okay, the, the data should be good, the science should be good, that idea should be okay. But does it drive me to then buy it? In many cases, no, because it makes me think, well, just because it works in a trial farm or just because it works when the university is supervising it with PhD students, I haven't got any of them on my farms. Will it work when it gets to me? So the credibility can even only carry so far before I want to know it's commercially viable and stands on its own feet. Yeah, and time is everything, and you, it just takes a while, and yeah. not necessarily yeah. a lot of urgency. And yeah, well, and, okay. and and grants particularly can be very sapping of time, can't they? You know, oh, universities can be slow because you've got a process to go and prove what you're doing, and it takes time. But you know, sitting down to fill out a good grant application and understand how to get through it, and then if you get through it, the administration of delivering it. Actually, geez, you know, never underestimate that anyone listening to this who's on that venture. You know, it, it's worth doing if it's right for you. But hey, it's not free money for doing nothing. It's it's hard. Work. It is. So then let's look at incubators, accelerators. What what are incubators and accelerators for people? And there's probably a lot of people who listen to this that would, would not know what an accelerator is. Yeah, and, and I didn't go through any. So if you if you did, Matthew, I'm not aware if you did, please, you know, chip in and give your comment. But you know, for me, yeah. what what my view on these is that they are they are more aligned with industry, typically the ones I see, or certainly you know, they're a group coming together relevant to that industry. The idea is to, you know, to do a bit of mentoring as well for you as the founder and make sure, you know, help you develop your leadership brain, your vision and how to pitch to big investors and that type of thing. And a lot of them will have links to some commercial bodies who might be able to do a very early test of your product or give a very honest opinion back of what they think of your product. So it's kind of, it is trying to almost coach you and give you a little bit of a sort of foot into one or two doors if they can to see whether or not it really is going to be interesting for the sector. Yeah, we went through a a couple of these and I think the value of these all has to do with timing. Yeah. Um, it all has to do with uh, kind of the terms and, and what they offer and if you're aligned. And then also with the mentality of the founder. Uh, yeah. for, for me, this was always the best when I needed structure to yeah. help me really refine the way that I looked and worked on the business. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how I could refine and communicate what that meant um, outside of selling or or driving that commercial growth uh, yeah. as much as um, business viability growth or long term investability uh, yeah. it was it was helpful, but you got to have the right frame of mind um, mm-hmm. what about mm-hmm. in a, what about innovation awards? What have you seen with those the value of those okay and <laughs> Like we say, we want people to find this interesting. So this might probe a few people and make them sit up or not. But hey, look, you know, I won an innovation award and I didn't. And they tried to make, well, first they tried to make me enter for it. It wasn't a particularly well-known one, but it was one, you know, that someone puts on LinkedIn that they've won it. And you think, I never heard of that. What is that? <laughs> but it's got a nice emblem and it all looks in a nice font. And you think, well, it must be a real thing. You know, the first call we got was, you know, are you willing to pay $500 for an article on yourself and then we'll put you into a category for an award to which we said, no, I'm not into that. You know, if you want to write about me because I'm interesting, please do, but I'm not paying you to write about me. Um, 
then what will you well we'll put you in the category for the award if you give us five hundred dollars no i'm not buying awards you know that's not that's not a big ego trip for me and the next minute two weeks later i get an email to tell me i've won this award <laughs> and i'm thinking hang on a minute so you know my marketing lady you know as brilliant as she is says my word i need this i'm going to run with this fantastic and i'm going the problem is, as someone who's on that inside, I suppose, it can be very misleading, some of them. And please, I'm not saying they're all like this, but, you know, it, this did happen to me. So it's a genuine case of the problem I have with them is, do I clearly know which ones are relevant and really are an award because you rightly deserve an award? And which one are some PR company somewhere trying to generate an award because they're trying to generate interest in their own magazine, website, or whatever it is? So... That's one of my concerns. The other one is, yeah, I, I believe we may share a similar view on this, but, you know, winning lots of awards and using those to try and sell your product, if your product isn't selling, you know, winning awards is quite different to winning customers. Very. So you can do both, I think, great. And, and look, for investors, they like to see it. And I suppose it gives you some peer review, which I'm all for peer review, but in a way, if you want to peer review me, Matthew, just drag me to one side, buy me a coffee and tell me what you think. Yeah, that, that for me is fine because I don't need trophies in the cupboard. But that's just a personal view. Yeah, I would say there's a lot of bullshit uh, groups out there that, that you may, <laughs> yeah, they call and they're like, hey, yeah, we got this award or, oh, you won this award. And I would say, oh, getting awards, credible awards yes, that are, are a key part of the journey. Yes. But yeah. there are a lot of BS ones out there that, yeah. yeah, it's, there's no, there has never been really any success that has come from any of the worthless ones that, that we're all of a sudden notified, oh, you got this. No. It's like, I didn't even no. apply. I didn't give you any information no. about our business. There, no. it, yeah. No. And, 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 and. As a founder, and particularly if you're a founder of a startup and anyone listening to this coming in, you have got a challenge to understand which ones are credible. I completely agree with you. The credible ones, if you can understand which ones they are, have a place and, and great. And if you justify them, I don't want to dismiss anyone who's listening to this who's won an award who genuinely has worked for it and won it. But it is difficult to filter out which ones are credible and not because they're very good at writing emails in a way that makes you think that someone has put you in for an award or that this is a genuine thing, you just didn't know that country very well to know whether it was or not. But the one award, I won an award years ago for my farming, put in by my processor, and actually it was on the back of that that everything else happened because I did win it, uh, Poultry Farmer of the Year or something, back in 2009, and the awards company, the national company here in the UK, wanted you to go on the conference circuit around Europe. And it was from me speaking on stage that ultimately led to the foundation of Optifarm and everything I do today. So look, there's an, I've got a casing example of one that absolutely worked for me. But you, there's also, I've had some BS ones as well. <laughs> yeah, I got a buddy who does more on the marketing PR side and they they scrape a lot of websites and they get a lot of data. And yeah, they'll, they'll do the same thing. They'll send out awards to people, letting them know, hey, you're the best in this category, congratulations. And it's a way for them to actually um, get in front of those people to yeah. to sell, so yeah. um, and a lot of times it's it's just a it's just a ploy or a strategy for some other means. And yeah. um, when <clears throat> when we look at oh some of these awards and and where where these go as well, 
you, yeah, and I think I think you know when you when you think about awards and 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 we do think there is some value there. Of course, there is. But again, you got to think who who is the value for? Is it recognition for your team? Because I know that that's a valuable thing for some people. And if it's a credible award, that is lovely for the guys in the back room who don't get to go out on stage and don't probably meet the customers, but are doing a lot of really hard work. It's lovely for them to see an award in the office and, you know, pat on the back for all the great work they do. But aside, you know, you've got that there, which is good for the team. So if you think it will motivate your team, do it. But then where is the value of that award after that? Is your customer or a potential customer going to go, because you've won that award, I'm going to buy your product? I don't know. Is an investor going to go, I know what that award is, so, hey, of course you can have another million dollars. Why wouldn't I? Because you've won the award. I don't know. And how much effort goes into some of these awards? What would have happened if you'd have put that energy into another part of your business? So there's lots of things to think of. Yeah, when we were when we were starting out, one of our mentors, uh, investors, told us um, all of that stuff, all the things you do to um, before you ever have a product, right? When you're still in the idea stage and you're still trying to build that minimum viable product, uh, just don't be forgotten. Do whatever you need to do to stay on top of people's minds, stay in front of people's minds, yeah. because so many ideas pop up and then yeah. poof. Yeah, they're forgotten. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right. Um, and, and if that is a vehicle for that, then I think. But you know, I don't know about you, but I don't think I've been asked in two funding rounds today in my due diligence how many <laughs> awards have I won. Yeah, there's plenty in there about what's my commercial activity and and you know where what money's in the bank and what have I spent and what have I earned. But I don't think any of them ever asked me. You know, did you win any awards? Yeah, <laughs> fair. So does short, shorter-term VC-type funding match the longer-term decision cycles in ag? This is a really big one because if you take VC money and you try to grow fast and you misassume how quickly you can grow, yeah. uh, down round. So like, how, does, how, does, how do you look at that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, even, even the fact that you and I have been through this, you know, we can tell by listening to each other, we've both been through it. You know, I don't know, just, just for clarity, anyone listening on this, this podcast, you know, when we say a down round, that's like, you know, I raised money on a valuation of $10 million. And the next time I want money, I'm only worth 8 million because actually I've gone down, not up. So yeah, we call these flat rounds or it stays the same or down rounds when you're worth less than you were before. So yeah, we're talking about, you know, going backwards in, in a down round. And I think, Look, I think I think VC is is challenging in many ways. I think it, at the end of the day, they want big returns because it's big risk. So they want big multiples. You, are, we have to accept as founders we're risky. Like you said, not many of us survive. What I do think is a place for VCs in our world at the moment. There's probably a place for VCs early stage and late stage. Probably the middle stage is the more tricky. You know, early stage, actually, you can grow from one customer to 10 and have a 10 multiple in your revenue fairly easily because you're not talking big numbers. And the one thing the VC will do is, is, is make you be accountable. It does teach you pretty quickly that well, you told me that in December, year two, you were going to do this and you're not. You've got to explain yourself. And there's some hard, there's some hard lessons there. The middle ground's more tricky because you see you you are growing, but are you? You it's really then if you're a real success that you come in late stage. Which I don't know whether that applies to ag anyway. But you know if you're no. the sort of Amazon type consumer model, you know Chat GPT, 
then Heiko, you can get your many multiples later on and really accelerate with a hundred million dollars investment and all that sort of stuff. But I think I think for us, as long as you accept they want a four to six year investment, if that really pushes you in four to six years to to either work, you know, either either succeed or fail, that's probably not a bad filter. But it will make you do certain things in that short period that's probably not right for your medium to long term strategy of your business. So you've got to go through that phase and then maybe slightly adjust as they exit if you can then find the right strategic partner. Yeah, you got to be somewhat realistic and uh, educate yourself before you do some value. And, and valuation in startups, it's whatever somebody's willing to pay. Uh, but there are ulterior motives. So like if, if I have a product with really cool technology and it's never gone to market yet, and I say, you know what, the potential of this is tens of billions of dollars. This is yep. worth, our company's worth a hundred million. And I've seen this. And yep. somebody invests in maybe a million dollars at a hundred million dollars. Well, those people know if this technology doesn't no. hit its milestones, no. they aren't getting money from anybody without it being a significant yeah. down around, which means the founders are losing most of their business. Yeah, yeah. If the, and, and even if, yeah, and it makes raising incredible difficult. And I think what, what I think is quite interesting there, and you see it on these TV shows, sometimes pre-revenue is the easier sell. Because you're just working on theories and you've just got to convince them that your theory about your market is true. You haven't actually done anything. The minute you go out the door and start providing your product to your service, you've suddenly discovered whether or not it does cost you $10 to make it and whether or not someone will pay $100 or not to buy it. So very quickly, they can then ask you the question, how many have you sold? You know, what's been your scaling? You know, all of those things. Whereas pre-revenue, to be honest, if you can give them a good idea then you can raise, but then it's a big milestone. You Like you say, you've got a lot of risks then what actually happens in the real world once you've got their money. Yeah, that pre-revenue valuation that you choose, it can be great, okay, yeah. or it can be the death yeah. of you. And, and the reality is that, you know, as we, as we know, and, and all, of, all founders and startups will know, you know, all of this stuff, like my wife, uh, yeah, Adora, as I do, but the reality is she's not a business person and, and nothing against her for that. But when she watches one of these TV programs, she thinks the founder's walking away with that pre-revenue raise. And I'm going, no, 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 no. That's money to go into the business, not for the, the, the founder. Yeah, might pay their wages to keep them alive, but, you know, they're not walking away with that money. So, you know, just because you can raise a load, you've then got to do something with it. And you, you've got to be accountable. Otherwise, you'll run out of cash. You can't raise again. Or it's a down round, which, as you say, you lose a lot of the equity. But it, and for me, it was never about equity holding anyway. It was more, how do I even move forward? Yeah. How do you solve that next problem? How do you make that impact? How do I raise again? How do I, how do I make, you know, how do I satisfy the customer's needs? How do I, yeah, how do I achieve my own aspirations in setting up this business in the first place? So one thing that uh, individuals often find interesting is when it comes to a startup, uh, you often get a lot of questions like, are you profitable uh, from individuals that aren't investors? When in reality, growth and spending more, spending more than you make to grow is, is an often the goal. Um, yeah. how, does, how does that, I mean, I've had, I mean, customers, it's very different for ag, for ag to look at a business model where they're not yeah. profitable. Yeah, and it's weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think for us, you know, yeah, we're not we're not generating 
profits yet because we're pouring more into the development than we're than we're making. We've been achieving revenue for five years. We've nearly always achieved revenue from when we were seeded to some degree. And if I'd have managed my resources and not done any development work or growth or future vision, then I could have probably turned a profit in the first six months just by me and a laptop in the corner of the room. But I would never have gone much further than that. So I think what we all do is, you know, we, we, we're we effectively raising to escalate our development and our um, our vision. And I think that if you've got a good idea that does have true appeal to quite a broad audience, whether that's multiple countries or multiple species or even other sectors, you never run out of an idea that you want cash to develop for. So, you know, this concept of profitability, you've got to listen to your investors, listen to your board and decide at what point is that key and at what point, you know, as long as you can keep raising and keep investing and making your company, you know, valuation increase to raise again, you know, how far do you go with that, I guess? So is there a better way to develop products based on a needs first approach? Um, yes, I think I think there is, but I think it needs industry buy-in in a way that includes industry collaboration, which is inherently tricky when the industry is trading in a tight margin scenario. Because, you know, if I, let, let's assume I want to develop a, I don't know, let's, something topical. I want to develop a robot that's going to do something in, in swine houses, say, maybe. Really, I need to understand, well, what's the issue? I don't know. Maybe it's getting dead, uh, you know, unfortunate dead sows out of the crates or something. So I'm going to come up with a robot that will do that for you. Just top of my head. I'm not working on anything like this, but just an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But really, what I need to know is, well, to make this scale... First thing I need to know, is it a problem? So really, the first thing you've got to do, and what I often say to people now when, I, when I'm meeting people is, you know, what's the problem you're willing to spend money to solve? I don't want to know your problem. Your problem, we've all got hundreds of them. I'm not, I'm not asking you that. What's the problem you want to spend money to solve? So in theory, I come up with my problem is I've got heavy sales. I unfortunately occasionally die, and I've got to get them out of the crate, and that's really quite difficult. Right, well, let's come up with a way of doing that. I've then got multiple different sow stalls or sow housing or whatever where I need to come up with something that's scalable. So I need you all to agree this is a problem you've all got. Oh, I don't want to tell my competitor that I've got a problem with that. I don't want them to know what my mortality figures are. I don't want them to know this, that, and the other. So um, understandably, there's some secrecy because really what you want is where is the fund that they're all putting into to say we all want to buy this product because we've all got this problem and we want to spend money to solve it. So we'll all form a joint VC with you to really solve the problem. Instead, what's happening is all the supply industries are trying to look at it and go, what can we bring to our customers that they want? Not just because they want to make money out of them, but they genuinely want to serve their customers. What do we bring? And we're not starting with what's your problem you want to solve that you want to spend money on and 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 to scale it and to come up with something that works for more than one customer they have to all get in the room together and they have to all talk about the same problem together and be quite open and that's incredibly sensitive yeah so that's what in in what ways have you seen that approached well so the the best ways i've seen it approached well to date is actually um, on on scalable solutions, you really are still looking at a supply company into a sector that has 
genuinely understood what the challenges are and is trying to develop something that they can take into that business. Or another quite interesting one, and I was talking to someone today that I don't know if you've seen this. We're, we're seeing it in poultry, and I'm guessing it may be coming into swine. There are some very large companies that for years have been using uh, IT companies to provide computers, servers, and who knows what into their, their business, their offices, their processing plants, their whatever. They're now going to those companies saying, well, can you not develop something for me? And then we're finding these companies are reaching out to us to say, will you come and help us develop these solutions for us? Now, these are companies with 80,000 employees that normally make computers, servers, and IT hardware. They're not in ag sector, but they're so close to their customer that the customer has gone to them and gone, I've seen all this lovely stuff at IPPE or the, you know, the Iowa pork or whatever it is. Surely we can come up with that, can't we? And then they're going away to their warehouse and finding a bunch of sensors and thinking, oh, what can we do? And when you're doing it that way around, it seems more driven by the problem than when we're engaged with ancillary bits of the industry that are trying to digitalize their business solutions or whatever it is. So, so there are definitely some of those cases working. So to wrap things up, what are some words of advice that you might have for both innovators and customers? So innovators, so for the innovators, I would say absolutely um, key is get yourself one or two industry, um, and they don't have to be the biggest, I don't think, but industry companies that will work with you. you know, the, if you're developing a solution for a producer, then find yourself one or two producers you can work with honestly and develop and be sure it's meeting their needs or if it's for, you know, if it's for the pharmaceutical industry, try and buddy up with one of them and really get the truth. I think that's that's what the innovators need. I think for the customers, I think it's be clear about what is the problem you want to spend money to solve and try not to get drawn on the things that someone's trying to sell you or that you're naturally drawn to, but you're never going to pay money for. You're probably not doing us any great service by allowing us to come and develop things and kid ourselves that we've got the solution for you when really we'd love you to be honest with us and tell us that's rubbish or that's great and then that'll accelerate our success or failure. So I think, yeah, be, be truthful to what are, you, what are you ultimately going to want to spend money to solve because nothing's going to be free. Yeah, as a customer, I'm afraid you're going to have to pay somewhere for all of this stuff. Hopefully you'll make more from what you spend, but it ain't going to be free. Well, thank you, David, for joining us on the podcast. This has been good. I think my goal with this was to help individuals that are curious or do not know much about the journey of a startup or what venture capital is like or how it can help ag or how it changes the journey um, to give them just a little bit of a, a flavor. And I really appreciate you hopping on to discuss this with me. Always a pleasure. No, no. Happy we could have the conversation. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available.
Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.